Uh, tonight, we are starting our new, uh, new study. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, that's where we will be. Uh, just the first five or so uh, verses tonight, we're just going to get into kind of an introduction uh, of the book. Um, if you're if familiar with any of the, the letters that Paul uh, wrote to the churches, uh, a lot of his, or, or pretty much every single one of them, starts with some sort of an introduction, some sort of a greeting, uh, you know, a, a salutation of sorts, and they all kind of pattern the same, but he says different things to the different churches, and, and there's some interesting things in this one, and uh, we'll get into the details of that in just a second, um, but I want to ask a question as we're getting started here. How many of you have ever been confronted with what I would call a hard truth? A hard truth basically being something that, that you need to hear, but maybe you don't want to hear. Right? It, it's true, and it's something you need to know, but, but it's going to be hard to either accept that it's true or hard to talk through it. Anybody? I know some of you raised your hand. I wasn't paying attention a second ago. Okay. So I'm calling tonight's message, basically, we're going we're gonna to call it the wounds of a friend. We'll get to the verse that talks about that specific uh, title there in just a minute, but sometimes if you're going to hear something difficult that's true that you need to hear, it's going to be a whole lot easier hearing it from a friend than it is most anybody else, or somebody you respect than it is anybody else, and so it's kind of important that you hear those words from somebody that you can actually accept them from, and so we're going to get into some of that tonight as well. This is kind of what Paul sets up, because a little bit later in Galatians, he actually doesn't take very long. He, he marvels, we'll see next week, he marvels at how quickly they've been removed from the, the foundations of the gospel. He, he calls them foolish Galatians later on. He's, he's about to come down on them pretty hard on some things that they've gotten their doctrine, their teaching, their understanding of Christ and walking with him. They've got it all messed up, and he's going to come down pretty hard on them, but before he does that, he gives him his nice little intro, and so we're going to have a nice little intro tonight. It's, it's a cool little thing. He establishes or reestablishes who he is and how much he cares before he lets him have it, which is really important, right? You know, if your friend's going to say something hard to you, you want to you know that they still care, <laughs> that the hard thing isn't, isn't the, the, the fact that they don't care anymore, and they're just going to let you have it. No, he's going to reassure them first, and so that's, those, there's three, th- three key things, I think, uh, that, that help us to take those hard truths a little bit better. And we'll see two of those from the text tonight, and, and the third is basically just our own maturity level. Right? If you're mature enough to, to take it, you can take all kinds of truth. Right? It, it, and it may not matter who it comes from. If, if you're mature enough, you'll be able to, to see the truth in certain things. Uh, so, so those other two factors are the relationship we have with an individual, and their authority in our life, or the authority of what they're telling us. If we have respect, that carries authority in our lives, right? If we respect them, even if they're not necessarily an authority, maybe they'll just appear, but you respect what they say, and you respect how they walk with the Lord, so what they say is going to have authority in your life. Does that make sense? It's not quite that they, you know, they're in a position over you. And so we have to be mature and respond to those things. Uh, about 19 or 20 years ago, Yes, I was a professional that long ago. I, I had just started at Gradle. I, I think I worked there 20 years ago. And uh, I was brand new. I was one of the youngest guys in the whole factory. Um, at, when I was hired, I was the youngest person in the whole factory. It was kind of cool. For like six months, I was the kid. And it stuck for a long time. Um, so the kid, you know, I, I, was, I was new in engineering, I was not even finished with school yet. I was getting trained at Gradle and learning at, at college. And uh, then I got saved, so I was, I was new, I was young, I was clueless. They hired me because they wanted somebody that they could train to do things their way, somebody who didn't have a whole bunch of, you know, bad habits. They wanted somebody who knew nothing, who wanted to be an engineer, and that happened to be me. And so I got in, I was just the, the young guy, and then I got saved shortly after that, and so I was, I was young guy, clueless engineer, I was young guy, zealous, 
uh, for the Lord, wanting to share my faith with my coworkers who I sat with day after day. And, and one of the guys, he was always, he was always interested uh, in having the conversations. He just rarely appreciated what I had to say that the Bible had to say about his sin, right? I wasn't very good at communicating those things. I, I certainly stepped on his toes. I was a little bit harsh with the book, right? It, it's a two-edged sword, and it, that thing can do damage if you don't know what you're doing. And I was swinging at it like crazy, right? I just, that's what I was supposed to do. Uh, my boss was a saved man, and he took me in his office one time, and he said, you know, you're, you're a lot like Peter. I was like, oh, really? Oh, that's not a good thing. I just kind of opened my mouth and put my foot in there all the time kind of thing. And so I had conversations with this one gentleman in particular, and and the way it would go is he knew that the Bible was true. He, kn- he knew that what I was saying was right, but the, r- the way he got rid of me was, you know, Matt, I've, I've had a lot of hard things happen in my life. Oh, okay, I understand that. So when, when you experience a little bit of life, if you still believe these things then, come back and talk to me. Right? I didn't have the relationship that, that he was willing to accept any of this stuff from. Now, he was presented with truth, and, and he has to answer for that truth, right? He has to answer to God for what he heard and what he understood and what he knew. I could have done a better job. I, I've learned a lot of things since then. But the fact of the matter is, we didn't have a friendship, and he didn't respect me, and I didn't have that kind of thing in his life. Paul, on the other hand, has the opposite of that. Paul is the one who taught the Galatian churches everything they know. He actually is an expert. He actually does have experience. He's actually giving of his life and his safety and his security and his health for this cause. So me being the novice in every area of life, I'm just zealous to go share the truth. Well, you know, the, Timothy was told not to let, not to let uh, you know, people despise your youth. Well, they might have and they might not have. I just was going for it, right? And, and I'm sure several of them despised my youth and my ignorance. But, man, it's, it really does make a difference when that individual does know what they're talking about, has gone through some hardships, is willing to stick to the stuff, right, through all of those types of things. And so what we see from Paul is the opposite. And we see that Paul genuinely cares about the, the churches that he's trying to reach. Proverbs 27.6 is where we get the title for our message. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Right? If you know somebody cares about you, you're certainly going to at least, maybe face-to-face you'll be offended, but you're going to think about what they said. It's going to keep replaying and replaying in your mind because why would my friend say that? Either they're not my friend or they're right. Or part of it's right. Or something is true, right? Other great all stories, I would go out in the shop, being the young designer that I was, thinking that I knew lots of things, and I would design a fixture, which is basically what a welder would use to to build his parts. We'd have new parts come through. I'd design a new fixture, send it out to the shop. I'd forget something. There's no way to lift this tool. It weighs 1,000 pounds. What are we supposed to do with this thing? Oh, hey, you'll figure it out. No, i got to go out and admit, yeah, I forgot that. Does everything else work great? I don't know. I can't put it in place to use it, right? I have to admit that I don't know what I'm talking about. I had to, to be mature enough to recognize that if I was ever going to get better at my job, I was going to have to be able to take some hard truth. I was going to have to be able to be confronted or be confrontable. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and Paul certainly is a friend for this church in Galatians, the churches in Galatia. Uh, Let's go ahead and read Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and if you have a study sheet and a pen, you can follow along. If not, you can uh, uh, follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Galatians 1, 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, 
according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll, we'll dig into what this passage is uh, going to teach us, and hopefully we can have some uh, really good perspectives uh, moving forward as we get into the rest of the book. Lord, uh, thank you so much uh, just for these simple introductions and these simple greetings that Paul has. Um, you didn't preserve any of these words on accident. Uh, you've, you've kept every word in place so that we have exactly what you want us to see. And so I do pray that you would move in our hearts tonight, that you would teach us some valuable things, teach us some things about ourselves, uh, teach us some things about the book of Galatians so that when we continue this study, we have the right perspective moving forward. Uh, we do want to make sure that we see this the way that you want us to see it and that it affects our lives the way that uh, you desire it to. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so right off the bat, Paul begins by reminding the churches of who he is. What we're going to find out is there's been some people come into the churches and, and started spreading some false doctrine and creating division and all kinds of things that, that they're struggling with. So Paul, right off the bat, begins with, basically, his credentials. He says, Paul, an apostle. Right? It's not just my title that I like to throw around because I went to school and I earned it. No, this, this is who I am. And so first off, we see Paul's authority. And Paul was an apostle. So those, those are your first two blanks. Paul's authority, and Paul was an apostle. Looking over at 2 Corinthians, an apostle had special signs that accompanied them to prove they were who they said they were. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought or worked among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So Paul's saying that he did these things to prove who he, who he was in the audience of Corinth. Right? The Corinthian church, he, he provided prior evidence in the first letter to Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2, it says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. So an apostle has supernatural signs and wonders proving the things that he says are the word of God. They, they are what God says they are. And he's, he's got supernatural signs and wonders. He's seen the Lord in person. And the changes in other, other people's lives are the evidence that they were who they said they were. Right? He said, even if I'm not apostle to other people, for sure, the changes that you guys have witnessed and lived, those are evidence that I brought you the truth, and, and that I was sent by the Lord, and I am an apostle in your lives. And so there's, there's some things that, that come along with this apostleship. Now, there's, there's churches all over the place that, that claim that they have apostles. Well, if you mean missionary, maybe. If you're just using a different term, Maybe. But you don't have apostles like these apostles. They, we'll see in a second. They, they were around for a certain time to establish certain things. And once those things were established, the apostles have, have gone away. 1 Timothy 2.7 says, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Verity means truth. Specifically, Paul was sent as an apostle to the Gentile nations. That's basically anyone that's, that's not Jewish. So looking at the letter to the church in Ephesus, we can, we can clearly see the purpose of the apostles was to establish the foundation of the original churches. and uh, Specifically, Ephesians 2, 18 through 20, it says, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're part of the church now. You are built... Upon the foundation of what? Of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now when you're building something, I like to ask LT because he's back. LT man! <laughs> Welcome back. How many foundations do you put on a building? One. You don't do the foundations, you just build on top of them, right? Right, okay. Dean's not here, so I would, I would ask Dean that. You put one foundation. The, the foundation is made up of what? 
the apostles, the prophets, and one cornerstone, Jesus Christ. How many foundations? One foundation. Once the foundation of the church was established, there's no need for the signs and the wonders and the gifts and all of the proving that these guys are who they say they were. Right? It was necessary for Paul because these were the original churches. This was the beginning of the movement. This was the beginning of the church. And so he was reminding them, hey, I'm an apostle. I've already proven to you that God is correct. It's not about me, but here's my credentials, just in case you think you don't need to listen to the things that I'm writing to you. Okay? So he's trying to establish his credentials in their lives so that they would take seriously what he's saying. Um, if you know anything about it, I, I, I should have put a, a map up there, but uh, maybe we'll get that up next week. Galatia is just a region. It's in, it's in central Turkey, and there's different cities within that area, and there's at least three, and we'll see those in a little bit as well. So there's three churches he's writing to. Notice he says the churches of Galatia. Uh, back to verse 1. It's uh, evident that, that not only was he an apostle, but he was appointed by God. This is not something Paul's saying, you know, I decided I wanted to be an apostle and God told me that was a good work, go ahead and do it, right? No, it was, it was appointed by God to Paul. He didn't ask for it. This is, this is what God chose for him. It says, Paul, an apostle not of men, neither by man, including himself, right? But by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This came from the ultimate authority, not just my Savior, but his dad. He, he's the one that picked me. He's the one that appointed me to this work. So if you've got a problem with me being an apostle, well, that's the guy you've got to take it up with. Because this message is coming down from on high, and we've got to get some things corrected here. So Paul was chosen by his authority and ours, God himself. When my, when my kids argue, and yeah, I know you don't believe that happens very often, but when they argue, it, it's, you know, one of them will come up and tattle, so-and-so did such-and-such, right? I won't, you know, I won't get anybody in trouble. They all do it. When they do that, I say, did you tell them to stop? Well, yeah. Did you ask them nice? Yeah. <laughs> like you're asking me nice right now? <sighs> you know, they give you the whole, <laughs> the whole thing, and I say, Go down and, and work it out. I don't want to have to. If, you, if you're going to make me work this out, it's going to be bad for both of you. Go figure out a way to work it out. And they go down, and 30 seconds later, it's still going on. And so they come up. They won't listen. Okay. Tell them Dad said come upstairs. And then you hear, I didn't do anything! <laughs> from the basement, right? Because... The message came down from on high from dad. <laughs> this is serious. This is what Paul's saying. It's not me. God said these things that I'm about to give to you. You've got to take this serious. God sent me, right? And <laughs> that's what the, the brother or sister is like, oh, dad sent you. Now I'm, now I'm in trouble. I'm pleading not guilty. You're guilty. You're both guilty. You're all guilty. All right. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says, When he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. And he transitions. Did you notice in verse 1 he calls them disciples, and then he gives them something. He gives them power. He gives them authority over the wickedness of this world, and their names have changed. Verse 2, they're now apostles. He sent them out to do a specific work for a specific time. And anytime you see apostles, it's almost always talking about the 12. It's, it's almost exclusive, exclusively the 12. Uh, there are other cases to be made to where Barnabas may be considered an apostle and some others. But if they're going to be an apostle, they're going to have to have the signs of an apostle. They're going to have to have the evidence that Paul had, right? And nobody here living today has physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ eye to eye. We can't claim those things. 
Besides that, you may claim to be able to have the, the gift of healing, but no, you don't. If you did, we'd be at the hospital all the time. And your family would never have sickness and death. It's, it's not for today, okay? It was to establish the church. It was for a time, for a reason. It has been done. The foundation has been laid, and we've been building ever since. So the other apostles were, were designated as such in the Gospels. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.11, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, an apostle, an apostle and a teacher to, of the Gentiles. Again, Paul was specifically sent to the Gentiles. Galatians 2.8 shows us that, uh, again, he was sent to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle sent to uh, the, the Jews, and, and basically the rest of the apostles were as well. Um, back to, to verse, cha- or verse 2 of chapter 1. It says, And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. You can't really find anywhere that specifically says where Paul is at when he's writing this. If you look in Philippians, he kind of uses some of the same verbiage. He says, all of those that are with me write unto you. He was writing the book of Philippians from from prison in Rome. It's possible that he was writing this one also from Rome, but but there's nothing that specifically says that. But the cool thing there is is that it is, it's multiple churches. This is one of the few few books most every other book that he's written, it's, it's to the church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, right? This is an, a region he's writing to. And so he's able to, with one letter, correct a whole lot of mess because they can get the, the letter handed out to all the churches very quickly. It's, it's kind of funny how false doctrine and division, it works through relationships. Correction does too. It's pretty cool how God can send out one letter and correct three churches all at once. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we see uh, this, this church, or these churches, this area. Uh, 16 verses 1 through 6, it said, just pay attention to the, the names of these places. There's, there's several of them. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed but his father was a Greek. So this is a cool little connection. Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, comes from these Galatian churches. It's a pretty sweet connection. So uh, there's, there's a lot of history. There's, he, if you look at and trace uh, Paul's three missionary journeys, he goes through this region every time. Each journey he makes a trip through here. Uh, it says in verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father, or all that his father was a Greek. Uh, and they went through the cities. They delivered them the decrees for to keep. They ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So there's three local churches that are starting in these three cities. And they're increasing. It's a pretty awesome thing. Uh, Verse 6, now when they had gone through Phrygia uh, and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Again, Peter was able to go to the east and Paul, the the Holy Ghost didn't let him go that direction. He had to go the other way. And that's how it it continued to spread. So when the, the churches in this region were established, Paul made sure that he kept making trips through here, and when he couldn't get back there, he, he wrote the letter. <clears throat> uh, let's see. The, it, let's go ahead back to, to verse 3. Sorry, lost my spot. Verse 3, we see Paul's affection, which is, is point 2. Paul had established his authority by reminding them who he was and, and who he was sent by. But again, just coming down and telling me you're the boss man, sometimes it's easier to receive a hard message if if I know you care. And it's not just the authority that Paul carries, but the affection. He says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I looked it up. Every single letter that Paul wrote, he includes grace and peace in his introduction. He has different things to add to those and different idiosyncrasies based on the relationship he had with those churches, but every single one of them, 
And he wants them to know that he wants God to be providing grace and peace. And I don't know anybody that doesn't need those two things in their life. <laughs> what an awesome, awesome thing. It, if you could have only two things in your life and they were those two things, you'd be doing all right. You really would be fine if you had grace and peace in your life. So he says grace and peace. So Paul's setting up some harsh words by letting the churches know that his heart is, is only good for them. I really only want you to, to experience grace in your life. I really only want you to experience peace. In order to get there, we've got to go through some rough, some rough things. He's wisely softening the blow by sharing his true intentions and, and his true desires for the believers. So he first wanted them to know how much he cared. And, and his desires, we're going to look at three different desires he had, and we see this in the passage. He's, he desired a genuine relationship with God. A genuine, genuine relationship with the Lord results in a life marked by grace and peace. If you're walking with the Lord, those two things are going to be part of your life. It doesn't mean there'll never be turmoil. It means he'll get you through it. It doesn't mean there'll never be enemies. It means he'll conquer those enemies. It doesn't mean you'll never make mistakes. It'll mean when you make a mistake and you turn to him, there will be grace to forgive you for your selfishness and stupidity. Praise the Lord for that. I've got more than enough. I need his grace in my life. Galatians 5, we'll see this uh, in a couple months, however long it takes us to get there. Galatians 5, 22, 23, this is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, or love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no one going to write a law that can take any of those things away from you. They can attack you, they can lie, they can physically harm you, but the peace of the Lord is something no one can take from you. The joy of the Lord is something no one can take from you. Long-suffering, the ability to push through it and know that he's there is, is something no law can take from you. Those are incredible things that, that we need in our lives. And he says that's, that's the fruit of, of walking with the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Man, isn't it good to know you've been set free? That, that you're not bound by those things? We're going to get into, we're calling the, the, the entirety of this stu study life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Because a, a life lived with Christ in holiness is a free life. And you're not bound by the things that used to bind you. You're set at liberty. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. It's not just a lack of turmoil. Great peace is part of a life that, that loves the word of God. If you can fall in love with this book and understand that God is giving you hard truth because he loves you and he wants to change you and he wants to... To, to exchange your, he wants to exchange your mess for peace. I mean, that's the best deal you could ever make. He wants to take your bindings and your chains and give you freedom. I mean, what an exchange. You can't get a better deal than that. And in this verse, it says, nothing shall offend them. This, this being offended is not like 2020 and everybody else is offended nowadays like everybody's offended by everything that's not what this is talking about this is talking about falling great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall cause them to fall you're going to keep walking with the lord you're going to keep trusting the lord you're not going to you're not going to quit on him because you know he'll never quit on you because that's what this book is going to reassure your life with it's going to give you that strength so he desired paul desired a genuine relationship in order to get Grace and peace, you've got to walk with the Lord. That's what Paul wanted for every church that he was writing a letter to. The second thing he desired, letter B, he desired protection from evil. If you look again at verse 4, he says, Who gave himself for our sins, why? That he might deliver us from this present evil world. Not just evil, not just your sin, this present evil world. It's a mess right now. 
it's evil right now. Genesis 2.17, this is, this is the beginning. The first time we see the word evil is actually Genesis 2.9, but 2.17 is talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you should not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Well, they went ahead and did it anyways. Right? They sinned. They chose themselves. Here's, here's an interesting thought about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did Adam and Eve already know good? Absolutely, they walked with God. They knew the, the only good and perfect creator. They knew good. He was saying, I want you to believe me and trust me in faith as to what evil is. And they wanted to experience it for themselves, is how it played out. It just required faith that one thing, you don't need to know that. You already know good. Just believe me, that tree, that choice, that's evil. Stay away from it. And, and they did it anyway. They were supposed to apply faith, and, and instead they wanted to apply experience. And they learned evil for themselves. Soon after that, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, just a couple of chapters later, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it was a a quick downward spiral Uh, those chapters cover quite a few years there's quite a population that's grown by that time but every thought was evil continually and and that's what brought in the flood and and god restarting things with noah so that was that was six thousand years ago this this passage says the a, a present evil we go to 2 Timothy 3.13, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul's telling Timothy that anyone who is deceptive is evil. And you should be aware of them because they're going to try to divide your church. They're going to try to attack the flock. They're going to try to take those who have placed their trust in Christ and, and deceive them and destroy them. Because that's what the wicked one does. That's what the prince of evil does. Ephesians 6.13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, or withstand, in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. What, what's the evil day? Well, if, if we're talking about that day, there's, there's a different context to that. But this day we live in, this day and age we live in, is a very evil day. A very evil and wicked day where everybody is offended by everything <laughs> because they only care about themselves and, and I'm one of them. Revelation 2.2 2 says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. We, we saw what an apostle is. Somebody who takes a position of authority on behalf of God that was not appointed by God. God says, that's a liar, and that's evil, and I, and I don't take that lightly. Right? So we have to take very seriously the things that we say. We hold up this book and say, thus saith the Lord. He better have actually said it, because I don't want to have to answer for saying he said something he didn't say. <laughs> he, he takes that very serious. He says, that's evil. We have to be very careful about how we handle his word. He has little tolerance for that. And that makes sense because his very nature is truth. Lies are evil. Deception is evil. Divisiveness is evil. First Timothy 6, 9 through 10, it says, But they that will be rich, that's someone who, who desires to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. Because God has asked us and created us to love him. And when we decide to love something as as silly as money and possessions and notoriety and fame in place of him, he says that's evil. He says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
find somebody who's spent their entire life pursuing money. Solomon, for instance. Solomon's assessment of his life is that all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Vanity means something that's vain. It's empty. Vexation of spirit is, is destruction. The destruction of your spirit. Pursue riches and fame and fortune your whole life, and you may have all of that stuff, but you won't have peace and you won't have grace. You won't have the things that Paul said, man, you need these two things. You got everything else. Some of the most unpeaceful people, some of the most ungraceful people you'll ever come across are those who are the richest in this world. There's no peace because they've got to hire extra security just in case. Somebody's coming after my stuff. The more you have, more money, more problems. That's what that guy said. Now he's dead. He got problems, man. He's got lots of problems. He was right. He was totally right. When we become discontent with God and the situation he's allowed us to be in, we begin pursuing other things in his place. The end of those things, specifically money in this instance, is destruction. Not just death, but drowning in destruction and perdition. I don't know why. This makes me think of, you know how you catch those uh, chipmunks to kill them? You put a bucket of water out there, but there's only just enough water for them to drown in, and they can't climb back out of the thing. This is, this is the pursuit of money and riches. This is what I think of. When I know it's, it's morbid. I didn't say I was normal. <laughs> I'm saying this is, this is what I want you to picture because, you know, I'm just sharing the wealth here. When I read this verse of drowning in destruction and perdition, I, I picture a little chipmunk <laughs> trying to get out of the bucket. That's what it is. It's hopeless. Sorry, I've ruined your night. But those things shouldn't chew holes through your yard either. So that's <laughs> Hebrews 3.12. Let's move on. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of, check this out, of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, I can, I can get on board with you saying, you know, the, the rich men of this world are evil. They control everything. They only, only, only ever want more and more and more, and they consume, and they don't care who they step on to get it. But, but he says that it's evil to have a heart of unbelief. God sees unbelief as evil. The children of Israel, when they, they left Egypt, they were set free from slavery they went into the, the wilderness to wander their way toward the promised land, and they, they were hungry, and they complained, and God provided for them. And they were thirsty, and, and they complained, and God provided for them. And it was over and over and over, and everything they kept saying was, we would have been better off in slavery. And God never did anything until they looked into the promised land that he said he was going to take them to. They said the promised land is exactly what God said it would be. God was telling the truth, but there's giants in there, and he wasn't telling the truth about them. We're not strong enough. And he said, this generation will die in the wilderness because of their unbelief. That's evil in God's eyes because God cannot lie, and you just called him a liar for the last time. That's what he told the nation of Israel. That's their big sin that kept them from going in was unbelief, faithlessness. And he says that's evil. So we need to, we need to ask ourselves, do, do we believe God when he says he can do what he says he can do? Paul's desire was pr- to protect the Galatians from all of this bad thinking. And his, other, his third desire, letter C, he desired growth and maturity. If we read the, the rest of the passage, again, we'll do verses four and five. He said, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Just on Sunday, uh, Pastor Brian Clark was here, our, a missionary we support from London, and, and he talked about this exact same thing, the will of God. What is the will of God? 
What is the will of God for my life? That's a good question. The awesome thing is, the Bible tells you specifically what the will of God is. If you've got the right Bible, it will tell you exactly the answer to that question. And so I just listed these out with some cross-references so that you can, you can look them up on your own, but uh, we'll just skim through here real quick. Paul's desire was that the will of God would be enacted in their lives, and, and it's all about growth and maturity. The will of God, first and foremost, 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish. Right? He wants you to give him your life. He wants you to make that trade we talked about. He wants you to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And what you trade in is, is your bondage and your mess and your inability for grace and peace and hope and eternity. It's the best trade you could ever make. His will is, is wisdom. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, he, he, we, this was the passage that Brian Clark went through. He, we should be wise, specifically with our time, because the days are evil. We should be transformed, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not conformed to this world. Don't, don't conform to what this world is trying desperately to convince you is right. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds daily with the word of God. How do you correct what the world is telling you? Go find out what the truth of God's word says. And say it doesn't feel true, but God cannot lie, so I'm going to pick that one. I'm going to go with what he says. He wants you to be sanctified, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, that we all know how to possess our vessels, our bodies, in sanctification and honor. Here's a good question for all of us. Do the things that we do with our bodies set us apart from others and unto the Lord? Or do the things that we do with our bodies set us apart from the Lord and unto others? Sanctification is setting yourself apart for his use, not so that you fit in better with the world, not so that you're more comfortable. Right? Are you a chameleon for Christ? We'll do another animal comparison. I'm not drowning this one, right? Are you a chameleon for Christ? Paul says he was all things to all people so that he would be able to reach some. Or are you a chameleon hiding from Christ? Are you just all things to all people so nobody asks you anything? Do you just fit in everywhere you go? That, that's me. I, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like confrontation. I don't like hard conversations. My whole life growing up, it was if, if, you know, the jocks were around, I pretended that I was athletic the best that I could. If, you know, the nerds were around, I was nerdy. I knew enough. If, if the bullies were around, then I'd pick on the nerds just so I didn't get beat up. I'd just fit in with whoever's around and whoever's making noise. Just be a chameleon. Don't ever show up on the radar. That same guy that I, that I, shared the gospel with and you know he told me to to give it some years he had this hilarious saying I, I disagree with it but don't be first don't be last don't volunteer for anything there you go buddy you're gonna go far with with that what he's saying is just blend in man don't don't show up that's when the man will get you right that's what he was thinking it was it was just be a chameleon just just hide are you a chameleon? Do you fit in for the right reasons so that Christ can be magnified? Or do you fit in so that nobody ever asks you about him? We ought to be sanctified. We ought to be set apart for him, to him. Uh, it's his will that we suffer, 1 Peter 3.17. Suffer for his name and for doing good, he says. If you suffer for wrongdoing, well then stop it. Stop doing wrong. But, but it's his will, and he's glorified, and he receives honor when you suffer for doing right. And when you're not that chameleon, right? When you stand out for him. Uh, submitted, he, it's his will that we be submitted. Doing well and submitting to the ordinances of men. That's God's will. It, it says that he will use that submission to put to silence foolish men. That could come in handy. He says it's his will that we be thankful, 1 Thessalonians 
And he says we ought to be thankful in everything. You know what the best combatant for bitterness is? Thankfulness. You can't be bitter if you're thankful. Even for the bad things. The trials and the difficulties that you have in your life. And he says uh, also that we, it is, it's, it's the Lord's will that we be serving one another. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, serving others as though we're serving Christ himself. That perspective, that'll give you an attitude adjustment. Hanging out with the worst of the worst, the most annoying people ever. If you're serving Christ, well, that's different. That changes things. If, if you can keep this list in the back of your mind somehow, you can look at your circumstances differently. God says, I'm up to something. I'm trying to grow you up. I'm trying to mature you spiritually, and I'm going to use all of these types of things. My will in all of those areas is that you grow up. First of all, you need to be born again. You need to give your life to Christ. And once you're born in Christ, he wants you to grow. He doesn't want to leave you an infant We started with Proverbs 27, 6, and the statement that the wounds of a friend are faithful. If somebody really cares about you, they know, and they know the Lord, they're going to care about the will of God being active in your life. They're going to care about your circumstances because they're going to know, man, he's, he's going through some stuff here, and, and God's, he's going to see God differently on the other side of this. He needs to see him the right way. I need to be an encouragement. I need to be there. I need to, I need to ask him hard questions. Because the will of God and his growth is just too important. So Paul's going to drop some hard truth in, in the rest of these chapters. Not all of it is that, but, but much of it is. And he's setting up, first of all, his authority, and, and secondly, his affection. This simple introduction to a letter... It, it lays out the two key, key factors that play into our successful receiving of confrontation. And I said before, the third one is just your own maturity. And that, sometimes you're just immature, and, and that's just the facts. But that gets to be a, to the point to where it's just a decision. You get to decide how you accept that hard truth. You get to decide, am I going to take it? Am I, am I going to listen to it? Am I going to accept it? Am I going to hear what God has to say and allow him to say, you don't measure up, Matt. I've got some things I need to change. Well, I know his authority and I know his affection. And I know what he's going to tell me is for my good. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy to hear, but it is going to be the right place to be. So some questions for us. Do we trust Paul? I mean, Paul was the man. Chief of sinners, but he was the man. Do we trust beyond Paul? Do, do we trust the one who sent him? This is always the issue when authority problems arise. When, when you have a problem with an authority, it's because there's a lack of faith that God can handle your authority. He doesn't appoint us authority over our authorities. He says, you trust me with that part. You do what you're supposed to do, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. That's a, that's a big test of faith at times. It, it can be very difficult. But he's got it. Do we believe that God wants what's best for us? And are we going to be mature enough to hear it? See, I need, I need friends like Paul in my life. Friends that contradict my flesh. Not friends that, that agree with me so that we don't have conflict. I don't want you to be a jerk all the time, but if I'm being a jerk, I hope somebody loves me enough to let me know. I hope somebody in my life contradicts my flesh when it's in control. I need that. N not somebody that excuses it or ignores it, yeah, he's just like that. Shouldn't be. And I also need to pray things like this last verse that, uh, I, I love this verse. 
and I hate it at the same time. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if I believe what God says is about himself is true, that he, he loves me, and he's only going to put me in situations to grow me, and that's going to be best for me, and it's going to be best for others, because I'm going to understand how to help them through those things too. If I believe those things are true, I should be able to pray this and mean it. So let's pray this together. And then uh, the worship team, you guys have another song? You guys can come up, and we'll, we'll pray this together, and we'll... We'll sing to the Lord. Lord, we, we do want to be able to handle hard truths. We need it. Uh, we certainly have not arrived. Uh, we don't have it all figured out. Uh, every time I think that I've got a few things figured out, there's always something around the corner that, that makes me confused and, and unsure. And Lord, we need you to search our hearts. You, you know what's in us. You know the, the wickedness. You know the evil imaginations. You know the very worst of us, but you're still offering us grace and peace. And we need it. We desperately need it. So Lord, we're asking you to, to search us, to try us, and help us to know ourselves. We know that you know the, the innermost. See if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, and lead us away from it. Help us to flee from anything that's evil. Help us to walk with you in righteousness and help us to, to be confrontable and help us to be the friends that care about your will in other people's lives. Not that we can be rude or just always judging and trying to figure out where everybody else is wrong, but that we genuinely care about your name being glorified in our lives together. Lord, you're, you're so incredible to love us enough to be patient enough and long-suffering and, and continue to tell us the same things even when we don't listen. Help us to listen to that. We love you so much and pray that you're glorified by this song.